Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we will go to the dust. Uh, cremation, being buried, uh, one's a speedier process, but ultimately, Lord, these are temporary houses, shells that we live in. The real us is inside, and Lord, we thank you that we've connected with you. We thank you that you've quickened our spirit, born again, made alive, and we can connect with the creator of the universe. Bless this time that we have in your word, and go before us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we looked at the parable, the first parable of seven in Matthew chapter 13. We saw the explanation of the parable, and we also saw the reason or the purpose of parables. It's kind of shocking, right, that Jesus would actually speak merciful in parables to people who didn't want to hear, who didn't want truth, who didn't want to grow in an understanding of who he was and what he came to do. Why? Because if they're listening to all of this truth, then they're held liable for the amount of truth that they they receive. We in America, we have so much access to light. Even though America is a very, very dark place, there's some good, good, solid teaching that we have access to. Mm -hmm. And with the evil of the World Wide Web, the internet, There's a lot of evil taking place, but there's a lot of great that we have access to. I study so much stuff from online. You know, I have books at home um, that I've read. I have resources, reference material at home that I can go to. Strong's Concordance, Young's, all these different books that basically tell me every word that's in the Bible and it's Hebrew or Greek definition And so I can know every word that's in the Bible and I can study it. But the internet is just wonderful. It's a wonderful source to be able to get a lot of good information. Is there a lot of junk? Yes, there's a lot of junk you got to sift through. Uh, But nonetheless, we have access to quite a bit. So hopefully we are not like the religious leaders of Jesus's day. We want to hear these parables. We want to grow in understanding of the truths of these parables in out of the seven parables, Jesus would explain two of them. The first one, we saw the parable of the sower explained. We want to be careful to think that the fourth seed in the parable of the sower is the only one that's Christian. That's true, right? Because the Christian bears fruit. And so that's the one that had good soil. The soil is the heart. And the word goes out. Jesus is the, the one that's casting the seed. And the seed is the word of God. And it lands on our heart. And it bears some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Um, And so we definitely want to be in that category. But guess what? Sometimes we have a shallow heart, just like the first seed, right? Where the path is trodden and some people trample on our hearts and it's shallow and we don't receive the word very well. Uh, Sometimes the choke, right? Remember the weeds? They would come and choke the word out. And that's the one that it sprung up immediately, but it didn't have very much depth. And so we never want to think that, yeah, all right, I'm in the fourth seed, that's me. Sometimes we need to be careful of the condition of our heart. The book of Proverbs says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And so I think it's very important that we're careful to know when we're listening to a Bible study. um, We never want to have the attitude, well, I've already heard this one. Yeah, but it's God's word, it's alive, it's new. Every time I study the word, I'm, I'm just amazed that just, a lot of the stuff I do know, but some of it I'm like, I 
never saw that. Was that here? Oh my gosh, who put that in my Bible? You know, and sometimes just different stuff. You see different stuff, and you you learn different stuff as time goes on. And I think of it as just building layers upon layers. And so maybe there is a good foundation, and it's solid. That's great. Nothing to be ashamed of there, right? But we want to build on that foundation. We want that foundation to continue to grow. And we don't want to just keep learning. We actually want to be doing. We learn so that we can give it out. We learn so that we can apply it personally first, but also that we can share it with others. And so Ron today sharing at Loyola and then getting beat up uh, because he wasn't sure where Genesis 3.19 was. Um, You know, we definitely want to be sharing, even if we don't know where it is. Remember... The, the, the chapters and the verses came later. Okay, the word of God was each book had its, you know, from cover to cover. So remember the scroll of Isaiah that Jesus read from? You know, how did he find that one scripture? It just happened to be where they were reading that day. So they were continuing on in that section of scripture. And he says, behold, today the scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. Okay, so we definitely want to know the word. And I think the references are important so that we can know where to go or show it to somebody. That's That's important, but I think it's secondary important. The truth of the matter is we want to hide his word in our heart that we would not sin. That's the key. And that's the profound truth of the the word. So I don't know if you know this, but these parables match up with the church age found in Revelations chapters two and three. And so they'll go in order. There's seven churches. There's seven parables. That's just an interesting dynamic. Um, a little further, these parables line up with seven of the epistles that Paul wrote. That's a trip. So we're not going to get into that. That's, uh, that's my Chuck Missler mystic stuff. Uh, I love that stuff. But at the same time, uh, there's some good stuff that, that I get to learn while I listen to all these different studies. Anytime you teach a Bible study, generally speaking, you learn 100% and you teach about 10, 12% of what you learn. So it's kind of like I'm greedy. I'm a glutton for like all I can get. So I like teaching just so that I can like spend time with it. And then I can only share maybe about, what do you think? About 10, 15% of what you study. Yeah. I mean, that's if you're really, you know, able that week or whatever to dive in. And, you know, sometimes I'm like just lucky to be able to read the, 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 the scripture itself. But most of the time, you know, we're able to dive in. So let's pick it up at verse 24. This is continuing on. He says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into barn. Now this would be the second parable that Jesus is going to give us the Uh, interpretation or the understanding for parable two words in the greek cast alongside so that's basically what a parable is he's taking a truth casting it alongside of a story so he's a a, it's a kind of a heavenly story with a, a earthly truth you know we've heard different kinds of things 
And for me, I love stories. They really lighten things up for me. They brighten things up for me. And so I appreciate it. I have a visual, most of us are probably visual learners, but I have a visual brain that just sees pictures and sees things in ways like that. And so when I hear, whoa, so uh, some enemy came and this guy planted some wheat and then these tares, Darnell probably, huh? Because they look exactly the same and you'll never know until it's harvest time because that's when the fruit is going to show the difference between the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares. And so just an interesting, again, my, my mind is able to see that because I've seen weeds. I've seen, you know, you ever drive down the freeway and you see those rows, all those perfect rows of the farmers are able to lay out and I love to just see that and I like math and so that's kind of neat to me um so we'll get to the interpretation but let's look at another one verse 31 another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds but when it is grown it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches the next one is one verse parable it's it's very similar to this one, so let's read it. 33, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of wheat till it was all leaven. So both of these parables don't have an interpretation. In fact, the early church fathers interpreted these two in the same way for 1900 years. And many say they were wrong. And the reason they interpreted them was because they were looking at the church from the cultural standpoint. And so they're thinking that the mustard seed is tiny and a, what's supposed to be a bush grows into a tree. And so the kingdom of heaven is going to grow really, really big. And it's the church's job to make sure that we get the word out and we tell everybody that we can so that the church can grow really, really, really big. Of course, it's our responsibility to get the word out. And of course, we want to see people get saved. But Jesus clearly said earlier that the path to heaven is a narrow road. And few are those who find it. The broad way is where most of the people are. And there's many on that road, okay? So if within context of all scripture, is the church gonna just be such an influence in the world that it's gonna just have this effect on the world where something unnatural, supernatural is gonna take place? You wish it'd be true, but unfortunately it's not. And so the first one, the mustard seed, this idea of a bush growing into a tree is actually a monster. It's something that is, the church is going to become monstrous. It's going to be, birds in the Bible are always depicted as evil. He told us that in the interpretation of the first one. And so these birds that are in a bush, but it turned into a tree, and we go back to Daniel to know that when a tree grows into something monstrous like this, it's it's not a good thing. And if you look at church history, I taught church history three years. If you look at church history, church history is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Embarrassing. Now the first apostolic church, man, they had something figured out, but they were fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They were looking to the Holy Spirit for everything they did. And it was said that if they didn't have the Holy Spirit, I don't know what the number was, something like 90, 95, 85% of what they did would have ceased because they were so dependent upon the Holy Spirit where they contrasted that to today and they said the very opposite. 85% of what we do would continue on because we're in our own strength, in our own money, in our own plans, in our own programs, in our own stuff. 
And we're not that dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so it is my desire to be associated with a group. And I said this in a message probably five, six years ago at Calvary Chapel Living Water. I have it in my notes. That's how I know I said it. And I shared this last week at the Bible College because it's in my notes for the study that I taught. Um, But I said, it is my desire to be associated with a group of people who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit and looking to Him for guiding us and leading us and whatever He wants us to do and not just business as usual or church as usual. And so, unfortunately, that's not a good thing, this mustard seed idea that Jesus is setting forth. If you look at Revelations chapter 2 and 3, you see the first church is the church of Ephesus, second church is Smyrna, the persecuted church. Next church is the state church, Constantine, 310 AD. And basically, he makes it popular to become a Christian. After that... Satan found a winner. If we can make Christianity popular and uh, acceptable, that's when Satan joined the church. And so it, that was, man, that was Christianity's just demise. The early church separated from the world. They were separate from the world, and they didn't hold back from truth. And then you have the next church, Catholicism, part of the church age. Without Catholicism, we have no church. And it talks about the paganism and in, in, in Catholicism. And it talks about that woman who is, is basically people are committing fornication with. Mm-hmm. Idolatrous Mary and Mary worship. And that's horrible. God never wanted Mary to be worshipped. Mary not, never wanted to be worshipped. And yet Catholicism, hook, line, and sinker, man. They took all these Babylonian wicked practices and they matched them. <laughs> Just one for one in the church. And so you saw all this saint worship and idol worship and ugly stuff. And then out of that comes Martin Luther who decides to protest against the indulgences was his big thing. If you read the 95 Theses that he hammered to the door of the church, um, most of it was indulgences that, that basically you can sin on Saturday, buy it on Friday. So just you know, give us money for the sins you want to commit in the future and he looked at that as a monk, as a holy, righteous, godly man that said, no, I'm part of this system, but we shouldn't be doing this. Shame on us. And the Protestant Reformation was born. Out of that, you have all of these wonderful churches birthed. Today, where are they? Dead. Dead. Dead as a doornail, unfortunately. And so that's church history. You go to the, the sixth church, it's Philadelphia the faithful church that we hope we are all part of. Um, A little strength, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Those are the three identifying marks that you as a Christian want to be known for. You have a little strength, but that's okay, because a little strength with God is pretty pretty awesome stuff, right? Okay, so a little strength. You have not denied my name. I I don't even like to tiptoe around people who say, uh, in his name. Or, or, or amen without saying in Jesus' name. I, I, I want to hear the name Jesus because that name has power. And so let's not, let's not deny his name. People are happy to talk about God. Oh, they'll let you talk about God. But you mentioned Jesus and like, what you talk about? Sucker? You know, yeah. those are fighting words, you know. They, they, oh, you're one of those fanatics or whatever. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm one of those fanatics, best believe. Um, have not denied my name and you've kept my word. 
the importance of those three things. And then the last church, the last day's church, the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter three. And that's the church that basically Jesus is outside of the door, knocking on the door saying, hey guys, want to let me in? And they think that they have no need of God because they think they see, they think they have fine clothes, they think all of this stuff, according to the scriptures, it says, but Jesus says, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, blind, poor, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Clothes that I would clothe you with this robe of righteousness. And so just the importance of seeing church history for what it is and being careful that we don't buy into this grand idea that the church is going to be so successful in the world. No, this isn't our home, guys. We have a home in glory that outshines the sun. This is preparation for eternity. So those two parables, the leaven is an interesting one because leaven is always a type of evil. Mm -hmm. And you have a woman here. Who do you have teaching this and who is he teaching it to? You have Rabbi Jesus, total Jewish context, teaching it to his Jewish disciples and the minute he mentions a woman and, and a measure of meal, the minute he mentions leaven, they would be like, you'd hear a gasp. <gasps> what? No, no, that's not the way it was supposed. No, that can't happen. That's a bad thing. For 1900 years, we're seeing as leaven in, in this parable is a good thing. No, it's always a bad thing. Leaven is a type of sin. And a little sin or a little leaven, the Bible says, leavens the whole lump. So sin creeping into the church. But remember the parable that we just read, the parable of the wheats and tares. Well, do we, do we identify them and pluck them out? And do we, do we tell, you're not a Christian and maybe you're a Christian. And, and who are we? Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 no, no. End of the age. My angels are going to do that. Because to be honest with you, you can't tell. You can't tell. There could be a, a saint struggling with alcohol and drugs and just all kinds of sin, but that saint belongs to God. You don't go and tell that person that they're not a Christian. God forbid that we do something like that and we, we harm one of God's precious kids. We all struggle with sin, some on a greater degree than others. And so we have to be very careful not to think that we can identify individuals that are saved or unsaved there's fruit that we want to see we need to be wise as a serpent harmless as a dove for our own edification we want to make sure that we're abiding in the vine and that fruit is the natural byproduct of that but we can't see inside of a person's soul at their heart so jesus is clearly saying don't do that but how many people in the church do that right so be careful Verse 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world. And so just showing that it's prophetic that this was spoken of in the Old Testament. Matthew, a Jew writing to a Jewish audience is making sure that every time uh, prophecy is fulfilled, He's letting them know. So then Jesus gives us the explanation. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Thank you disciples for asking Jesus. We, we love the interpretations. He answered and said to them, 
He who sows the good seed is the son of man. Uh, Isaiah 59 told us that, right? As the rain falls down from the earth and waters it and doesn't return without accomplishing, so is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will accomplish what I purpose it. So Jesus is the one that sows that, that word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Whoa, that's crazy. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. What? There's devils in our church. Yep. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angel. What is the end of the age? It's when it's all said and done, when God's going to wrap it up. And so again, we need to be very, very careful. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think it's so important for us to be very, very careful to leave the judging up to God. And that doesn't mean that we can't be discerning. But what I've seen is I've seen a lot of Christians elevate discernment above love. Love first, discern second. So sometimes if you have the gift of discernment or the Lord gives you discernment in a situation, it doesn't mean that you can discern without love. Love is the foundation. Mm -hmm. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love. Sound like a gong. Profits mean nothing. If I give my body to be burned, if I give every penny that I have to feed the poor, but I haven't loved, Again, it's to no avail. It does nothing. And so we have to be very, very careful with discerning. Discerning is important. We don't want to be stupid. We don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be foolish. But if we ever make a mistake, we want to make the mistake on the side of erring, on the side of love. Not, well, I knew those people were just trying to, you know, get over on us. We'll always try to feed people. And we'll always try to give people counsel, godly counsel. We'll never withhold that from people. Uh, again, unless there's just something that, nah, nah, you can, you can, you know, you got money. You just don't want to buy food with it. You'd rather do something else with it. So go buy food with your money and don't come and take our food, you know, kind of thing. But for the most part, we'll always try to do that. It's, it's people always trying to just fleece the church and just take as much from the church, and they'll go, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do their little rounds, um, and I don't know, different people have different bottoms than others, you ever notice that, like, you look at somebody, and you're like, man, they're at their bottom, well, I've seen people go lower, so you never know where somebody's bottom is, some people just need a, a, a nice little jolt of a wake-up call, and it's like, whoa, man, I don't know what I was thinking, I just snapped out of that, Woo! you know, and they wake up, that's their bottom, so I don't know where people's bottom is, and it's not my, my job to figure that out. But I know this, I want to err on the side of loving people and receiving people and accepting people and speaking truth to people. If I talk to somebody for a period of time, it's not a matter of time before the Lord shows me certain things. But just because he shows us things doesn't mean people are ready to receive things. I know things way in advance sometimes with people before they're ready to either change or, or or um, repent, or 
uh, give into that conviction. And that conviction has to come from the Lord, right? I can't convict people. So just because God shows us something doesn't mean that it's time for them to get that lesson. God may just be showing us so that we can take a step back and leave room and time and space, I always say, for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives or to pray for them or whatever it is. And so I get a a lot of phone calls of people that are um, doing really well and I'm like, I saw that about a year ago, (laughs) you know, Uh, but it took a year, but that's okay. We'll, We'll take that now rather than never. So congratulations, you know. But again, just because we see things, this parable of the tares, um, it's just to me, it's so important that we um, esteem others as better than yourself, I guess is one of the best uh, correlating scriptures that I can give you. How do you esteem others as better than yourselves? You recognize that God loves them too and that God wants to see them whole in every sense of that word, healed in every sense of that word. But God is doing something deep. And so may he use you as the grain of sand that you are in the hourglass of everybody's life. And the minute you think you're ever more than a grain of sand in the hourglass of anybody's life, you're giving yourself way too much credit. You are one grain of sand in the hourglass of anybody's life. The most influence you could ever have is a grain of sand in the hourglass of somebody's life. Because God is doing an incredible work all around and he's always on his J-O-B, okay? So he's working in their job or if they don't have a job. He's working in their home or, you know, if they're homeless. He's working in every situation, through relationships, through financial difficulties. And so you just want to be obedient to, and the best thing you and I can do for anybody is pray for them and give them the word because the word will not return void. And that word will come back years later and ring true, Okay? Again, he goes uh, a one-verse parable, hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We're going to read these three together. Another one, uh, two-verse one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. And then the last one, he says again, verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Um, Jesus says, have you understood these things? And they tell him, yes, Lord. What are you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instruction concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings his treasure, things new and things old. So we're learning new things and we're learning old things. We have three parables here and they're fairly similar, right? Kind of a treasure that's in a field. He buys the the whole field to get the treasure in the field. Uh, A pearl of great price. He, um, what does he do? He who found one pearl of great price and when he uh, sold all that he had so that he would buy it and then the dragnet, okay? Notice he says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. We have a tendency to be a little, I don't know what the word is, but kind of self-focused. Like we think kingdom of heaven, church. 
And the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be more than just the church, right? So the first one, believe it or not, is given to the nation of Israel. That parable of hidden treasure. Um, several verses in the Old Testament, as well as we are God's treasure. But the nation of Israel specifically is the treasure of God. Okay? The book of Isaiah, I think Job, uh, definitely a psalm. But the, the first one is given then, so the kingdom of heaven is going to have Jews. The second one is for Gentiles, or the church age. And the church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles, predominantly um, Gentiles. But it says um, that pearl, what is a pearl? It's a little irritation, and it's the only jewel that is, um, that nothing can, like it's, its value is found if it's not marred or scratched or tainted with. Where, you know, other jewels, like a diamond is cut, and all the, right, all these rubies and these precious stones, a pearl, uh, and it comes from where? The sea. The sea is known as, as the world or humanity, the, the, the world at large for Gentiles, um, where the land is Israel um, in, in Bible typology. And so just neat little kind of things here. So the kingdom of heaven is going to be made of, of Jews and Gentiles, right? But you got this dragnet, and those are the saints that are going to come out of the tribulation. And so you're going to have people that have a different economy in heaven. So we have an incredible blessing in being the church. And no, like, no thanks to us. Just God's awesome, wonderful plan that we just lucked out. Is that a word that we can use? Man, that God chose that we would live in this greatest of ages to be able to know Jesus before the rapture of the church before the tribulation comes on the earth. And that means something in heaven. It's going to mean something because it's, it's, we're all in the kingdom of heaven, but you'll see it's going to be just, we got some serious blessing stuffs to look forward to. And I don't know how in the tribulation, um, there's scripture in Thessalonians that says that a, kind of a partial... It says a blindness is going to come um, because they did not love the truth. Something, something. It just, we need to respond when we hear the gospel, when we hear the truth, as opposed to putting it off. Can you get saved in the tribulation? Yes, but you have to give your life. You have to give your head. And I've always heard it said, if you're not willing to live for Jesus now, how are you gonna die for Jesus then? And so I think it's, it's, you don't want to play games with God. We need to respond to the truth. We need to accept that, uh, man, there's a dispensation of grace and it's wonderful. But there's some serious good stuff to look forward to in heaven. And so that's all those three. We'll wrap up verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now here's why they marveled. Notice verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Did you ever wonder if Jesus had brothers? They're named right here in the Bible for us. Not his cousins. These are his brothers. And his sisters, 
Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they, they were offended at him. Notice the result. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Our unbelief limits the wonderful things that God wants to do in our lives and in our hearts. So we need to be careful of that. But this idea right here of, is this not the carpenter's son? Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They thought they knew Jesus. We will limit what God can do in our lives if we think we've got Jesus figured out. You don't have Jesus figured out. He's bigger. He's better. He's beyond. He's beyond your and my little pea brains. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how much you study. I don't care how much you know. Jesus is bigger and better. So be careful. Well, this is kind of how God works. I mean, I've seen this, and you know, last week when I did this, then God did this, so this is how he's going to always work. No, God never wants to be put in a box. He's bigger than any of our theological boxes that we can frame him around. And so let's be very, very careful. Personally, just personally, again, how much of him do you want? You want a lot? then stay wide open to what he wants to do and, and let him have access. And to, yeah, I know this guy. He's a carpenter's son, right? Right? And I know his mom, Mary. She's right there. And there's three brothers, Joseph, Judas, and James. By the way, those wrote the epistles, and they didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. That's crazy, right? And there's his sisters. I think I know them. No, we never know Jesus. And yeah, we can, we can get to know him, and we study, and we learn but he's bigger, he's better, he's greater, he's more magnificent. And it's the only thing that, everything else you can study it and, and you get kind of, you exhaust it. It's like, huh, quantum physics. <sighs> yeah, I know everything. Yeah, you ain't knowing everything about Jesus. So never, never, never. The more we study him, the greater he gets. The more we study him, like the, the, the more wondrous it becomes. The more we worship him, the more we want to worship him the more we, like, he's just inexhaustive. So be careful when you get to a place where maybe you think you've got it figured out. Oh, Matthew. I've done Matthew before. No, we haven't done Matthew. We're doing it again, you know. Questions, comments, concerns. 